Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name's Richard and I am on a mission to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Hope you are well, having a great week and had a great weekend. As you can probably tell, it is Halloween week, so we are trying to incorporate that right throughout this week's episode. Now, we start off this week by heading down to the allotment where we've had some rather good developments. Let's go find out what's going on down there. Well, I'm here on the allotment this morning and I'm actually inside Grandad's greenhouse because we are getting quite a bit of rain just come through this week. As last week, we've had quite a bit of rain again, and I've never actually seen the allotment as wet as it is. As I drove in, there's some huge puddles on the roadway, which I've never really seen before. Now, as I said, I am in Grandad's Greenhouse, and I've actually had a bit of a tidy up in here. The tomatoes had finally finished, so it's time to cut those down and get rid of those. Now, let's freeze up this greenhouse, because... I always think a greenhouse is great for growing things over winter. We often use them just for tomatoes and cucumbers during the summer months or sowing seeds in the spring. But actually, I think they are a great way to grow more food over winter. So by freeing up these beds, and as you know, these beds are my plastic containers, a bit like the veggie pod in that they're wicking beds, so they always stay moist. These beds are going to be used for growing things like winter lettuces, winter salads, maybe other things like that. Maybe even some brassicas. Who knows? We will find out throughout this year. The main trouble I have with the greenhouses here on the allotment is the wind over winter can sometimes smash some of the glasses. So I do have to be a little bit careful. And that's why my second greenhouse hasn't been fully glazed yet because I'm expecting some windy weather. But next year I think that will be together. Anyway, my main focus today has actually been on my pumpkins. Now, back on King Charles's coronation, I sowed a couple of pumpkin plants, which we called Charles and Camilla, just for a bit of fun. You know how these things are. Now, these were meant to be crown prince plants, and they, they grew quite well. I planted them out in what I call my composting beds. Now, these are two beds behind the greenhouses that I fill up with a load of compost material, and then I plant my pumpkins into that. I usually do grow pumpkins in my compost bins as a way of putting that area to use and it always works quite well. Now I'm not saying it didn't work well, it worked quite well in these composting beds. It just, I didn't like the look of them. So I don't think I'm going to bother with these composting beds in the future. We're all just composting the compost bins and use these beds for growing things like normal. And we can of course still grow pumpkins in our compost beds. We just have to make sure they are full in time. But yeah, my pumpkins. So how did we get on? Now as I said, these were meant to be Crown Prince pumpkins. And Crown Prince pumpkins are normally a blue-skinned pumpkin. And I grow those because I really like the taste of them. I got the seeds from a seed swap and that was my mistake because the pumpkins that we've got are not crown prints. So Chiles, for example, the pumpkins that came from that are a orange colour but on the whiter side of orange. They've got some quite nice deep ridges in them which I quite like and... 
they are actually came in one's just over five kilos and one's just under five kilos so i'm happy with the size obviously we've got to find out what they taste like and that for me is the important thing because i grow pumpkins to eat not for carving camilla only grew one pumpkin which is green and the plant itself has died back so there's no way it's going to turn to an orange color and it is about half a kilo so it's tiny compared to how charles did now i also did grow a couple of other pumpkin plants so that one that we had in our compost bin which is also green but has a slight orange tint to it that again is quite small and came in at half a kilo as well and then we had one more that was growing in a bed now this was a bambino variety which is meant to be quite a small one but this came in at 1.8 kilos and I'm quite happy with that when it looks like your standard pumpkin it performed really really well so overall I've got to say I'm quite happy with the pumpkins that we have we will use all these in pumpkin soups pumpkin pie good wide range of things that we can grow these in and I'm overall quite happy with what we've got I'm just disappointed we didn't actually get the crown prince. So what I think I will do, now when we get seeds from seed swaps, they're normally quite reliable, but squash plants particularly have a habit of cross-pollinating. So what I think I will do is actually buy crown prince pumpkins next year and not get them from a seed swap. But if any of these pumpkins taste good, we will save seeds from these to regrow next year. They have done okay. I'm not disappointed. It's just a shame they're not what I expected. As I say, it's all about the flavour. Now I'll reiterate, I grow these pumpkins for food. I'm not interested in growing huge, massive pumpkins, although I often toy with the idea, maybe next year. But I grow these for food. And that for me is quite important thing to, to get over. But next year we might try and grow some massive pumpkins. So again, if anybody's got any tips on how to grow massive pumpkins, I'm all ears. Right guys, let's head back to the podding shed and get out of this rain. Now I recorded that piece on Saturday morning when I was down on the allotment. I had no intention of visiting the allotment again this weekend. However, Saturday night, and you may have seen this on social media, we had a bit of a development. We actually had a tornado come through our town. And this particularly hit our allotment site. So Sunday morning, I had to rush down to our allotment site and just see if we had any damage. I was particularly worried about my greenhouses. After all, I've inherited all my greenhouses and they've got sentimental value. But I went down to the allotment site and I let myself in through the gate at the front and I was greeted by overturned sheds, greenhouses that are literally crampled. I was worried there was people who had chickens on our allotment site. I was hoping all their chickens were okay. So I walked all the way down to my allotment but what I noticed is that it was only the front that was really affected. My allotment was completely untouched, no damage at all and obviously I am down the far end of the field. But it was literally, you could see where the tornado had came through and turned over all these sheds and what have you. It's quite, quite a sight. Now, of course, I would just like to remind everyone, just changing the subject slightly, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to help support the work that we do, there are two things you can do. First thing is rate and review on your podcast provider. By rating and reviewing, you help other people find 
what we are doing and help encourage more people to grow their own food. But the other way you can also help support us financially is by becoming a member of our supporters club. Our supporters club is a membership club where we encourage more people to grow their own food. We send out packs of seeds each month that can be sown that month, as well as extra behind the scenes podcasts. And I charge £5 a month to be a member. I think it is great value personally. So please do consider becoming a member and I would really, really appreciate if you can help in any way. I really, really do. Right, well, it's coming to that point of the show where we need to start looking at a tool. And this week, I've got a great one for you. This week, when it came to choosing a tool to service, with it being Halloween, I was thinking of doing a machete. Now, a machete may not be recognised as a garden tool in the UK, but in the Caribbean I saw a lot of people using a machete as a gardening tool. However, an axe is fairly closely related to a machete and a pretty similar way of looking after them and servicing both of these tools. So I thought this week I would concentrate on the axe. So what I've got is my good old trusty axe and I often use an axe for chopping up bits of wood roughly but when I'm trying to dig out some roots it's also useful for chopping away at the roots. Now of course an axe is quite a dangerous tool when using so I always recommend any tool really you know exercise extreme care. An axe, a machete is certainly one of those. So my axe here, we've got a wooden handle, which of course I'm going to soak with a bit of linseed oil once I have finished. Then we've actually got the head, which this head is actually in pretty good condition. Now, if I had any signs of rust or anything, as I said last week, a bit of sandpaper just to remove any rust. I don't have to worry about that with this. So what I'm instead going to do is sharpen the blade. Now I've actually got an axe sharpening stone. Now this axe sharpening stone is circular. We've got a coarse side and a finer side. So we're going to start off with a coarse side. I've soaked it in a bit of water and all we're going to do is I've put the axe I should say into a vice just so that it is pointing upwards it's very very secure not going to go anywhere but all we're going to do is look at the blade of the axe and see the angle and then we're going to get our stone and we're going to just rub in a circular motion very very small circles all the way down the sides of this blade. We're going to do it on both sides. What I find is that because we've soaked this stone in a bit of water, we're actually getting a, a bit of grit, which becomes almost like a fine paste. And that helps with the sharpening process. Now I'm using the coarse side first, of course, just to run up and down both sides. And this kind of gets rid of any nicks as well and gets it into a, a decent shape. It's pretty easy to do. Of course when I use an axe I always recommend like any tool that has a blade we sharpen it up as we do the job anyway just because a sharp tool is so much safer. 
Right, I've done that with the coarse side, so I'm just going to turn this stone over and repeat on the finer side. And that should make a nice sharp blade. It's looking pretty good actually. Now, of course, the, the real benefit of an axe is the weight behind it when it comes to throwing it into some wood. So a sharp blade just helps make the cut a little bit better. Right, we are, yep, I'm happy with how sharp that blade is now. So what I now want to do, I don't want this head rusting. So like I, I said with the, uh, the handle, we want to make sure the handle has got plenty of linseed oil. I keep an oily rag and I'm just going to rub over this head with my oily rag just to stop it from rusting in the future. It doesn't take much work and again, it just benefits from it. So pretty easy thing to do. Now, one thing it is important to just check is that the head and the handle are not coming apart or loose. When you are throwing an axe, of course, you don't want the head to come off. So always just make sure that that is okay. Luckily enough, this one is in pretty good condition. So there we go, my axe is tended to for another week and it's pretty much the same if you have a machete. Uh, again, I know in the UK we don't really think of a machete as a gardening tool but in many other parts of the world they are quite often used for weeding, digging, a bit like the hoary hoary knife. And very much caring for one is the same sort of thing. Remove any rust, treat the handle, make sure everything is in tight condition, sharpen it up using a sharpening stone and make sure you oil it up so it doesn't go rusty. As easy as that. Right, back to the podding shed. There we go, the good old trusty axe or maybe a hatchet or machete that you might use. That is serviced and looked after for the winter and will be good for a while longer. Now, as I said, I use a sharpening stone that is circular and specifically designed for axes or any of these sort of tools. They are pretty inexpensive to buy, but I've added a link to one on Amazon in the show notes if you are interested in buying one of those. I think they are worthwhile if you use an axe a lot. As I said, it's always best to keep your tools sharp before and while you are using them. Now it's time we head down to Scott's Kitchen for another mouth-watering recipe. I'm really excited about this one because it is a good one. Let's go see what Scott's got for us. Hi, it's Scott here and back with another festive recipe. And this one means a lot to me. It's one of the recipes I've had published and it's been a family favourite for as long as I can remember. And it is Yorkshire Parking. It's a very traditional thing to eat on bonfire night in Yorkshire, so much so that in the 19th century, the 5th of November was also known as Parking Day, and parking itself dates back to the 17th century. Lancashire also have their own version, but it's made without oats, and in my very biased opinion, it's not as good. One thing I love about food is that it can transport us back in time and help us relive our memories, and this one does that for me. One bite and I'm a kid, again, back in Yorkshire, filled with the excitement of bonfire night. It's great eating cold from the cake tin, or served warm with toffee sauce, rhubarb compote and ice cream for a comforting dessert. So let's head to the kitchen and find out how it's made. The ingredients for the parking are 
80 grams of golden syrup, 80 grams of black treacle, 90 grams of muscovado sugar, 90 grams of butter, 120 grams of plain flour, 1 teaspoon of baking powder, half a teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda, 120 grams of porridge oats, 30 grams of stem ginger, 2 teaspoons of ground ginger, 1 teaspoon of mixed spice, quarter teaspoon of ground mace, a pinch of salt, 1 egg and 1 egg yolk and 130 millilitres of milk. Ingredients for the toffee sauce are 100 grams of butter, 80 grams of muscovado sugar, 125 millilitres of double cream, 20 grams of stem ginger syrup and 30 grams of diced stem ginger. Method for the parking. Grease a square baking tin with a little butter and line with greaseproof paper and preheat the oven at 175 degrees. Now place the black treacle, golden syrup, sugar and butter into a pan and warm over a gentle heat, stirring until the butter is melted and all the ingredients have combined together. Then place all the dry ingredients and stem ginger into a large mixing bowl and pour over the wet mixture. Now whisk the egg, egg yolk and milk together and add to the rest of the ingredients and then spoon into the prepared tin. Cook at 175 degrees for 30 to 35 minutes or, or until risen and firm and, gen and spring it to the touch. Method for the toffee and ginger sauce. Slowly melt together the butter, sugar, ginger syrup and stem ginger and when it's all melted whisk in the double cream. Boil for one minute and then that's it, that's the recipe done. I hope you enjoy it. As always, I want to thank Scott for that recipe. I've got to admit, I've learned something today. Not only had I never heard about Yorkshire parking before Scott sent this recipe over, but I never realised the history behind it either. And this is one of the things I absolutely love about food, love about vegetables, is learning the history and the mythology and everything that goes on behind the scenes, all to do with these fantastic things that we use on a daily basis such a great way to learn i feel so yeah scott thank you so much please do keep those recipes coming if anybody else has any recipes they want to throw away please feel free as well and i'll pass it on to scott and see what we can come up with okay well it's time to head out to the vegetable garden to find the latest goings on in the vegetable garden So here at home, we've had a pretty good week actually. One thing that I have been doing is planting out some more garlic and some more onions. Now I'm growing both of these at home as well as on the allotment. The real advantage that I find of growing garlic at home of course is that it keeps the vampires away which is very much on the theme of this week's podcast. Now I sowed some garlic at the middle of September here at home, Casablanca and Bohemian White. The Casablanca is absolutely huge amount of foliage and the Bohemian White has just started to show itself now. So it's been a little bit slow for the Bohemian White but it's doing okay. We've also got some elephant garlic that I've put in, but I've added a couple more varieties this week. I've gone for Germador as another variety. Now, what I've done is I've just dibbed a hole and I've put mine here at home about five centimetres deep. 
Ideally, I find garlic does better if it is a little bit deeper, about 10 centimetres deep. But unfortunately, clay soil that I have here just stays so wet during the winter, especially at the moment with the amount of rain we've had, that there's a good chance the garlic cloves would just rot away. So I'm not going as deep as I would like. And it's the same with the onion sets. The onion sets we do a little bit shallower anyway, but... If they go too deep on this clay soil that I have, they would just rot away. Now, once they are planted, I simply water them so that the hole gets backfilled. And I add a bit of blood fish and bone or a garlic fertilizer. And then I just leave them to do their own thing. Now, ideally, I would mulch these with some chopped up leaves or grass clippings. At the moment, I just feel it's a little bit too wet to even try to do that. So we're just going to leave it to its own thing and see what happens for the time being. If it dries up a little, then we might get some chopped leaves as a bit of a mulch. Now, simply leaving these to grow, we add a bit of a feed. I do find that autumn planted onion sets have a tendency to bolt next year. And they don't store as well. So we will be also planting out some spring-sown onion sets. For the garlic, however, I've done experiments with different types of garlic and different times of planting them. They may bolt, but I don't think that really causes them much issue. The only advantage I find is that when we plant our garlic early, so I always do mine September the 20th, but we can plant them right up till, say, the middle of December before the ground gets frozen, is that garlic needs a period of cold, a temperature below 10 degrees for something like two weeks. And if it doesn't get that, you get a large garlic bulb, not cloves so that's a real reason that i find that sowing them early makes all the difference it just gets that cold temperature now i've said time and time again i'm on the south coast here and we normally get weather that is pretty mild so i'm quite desperate for that temperature to be below 10 degrees now i could plant some a bit later on in spring planted but i just find they don't do as well now I've also been planting out some more Swiss chard, particularly in the bed that I built last week that is all up and running now. And the reason I'm just planting out Swiss chard is I sowed a load of the seeds. I think Swiss chard looks great. It's got this beautiful orange stem with these nice green leaves. And Swiss chard is a, a bit like a, a spinach. It's called a perpetual spinach sometimes. It's got a nice leafy green flavour. It can be a little bit tough if left to grow a little bit long but the real reason I think many of us grow them is for the colour they look absolutely stunning they come in a variety of colours red white and orange stems and the ones I've got here are like these canary yellow stems they look fantastic and the best thing is they are growing we've got a few that are planted next to the garlic and they are growing quite big already and we're starting to harvest them actually we can add them to smoothies and add into stir fry so i love swiss chard if you haven't got any at the moment you might be able to get some from a garden center i don't know but think about doing it next year it will grow right throughout the winter and provide you with plenty of extra salad greens i've actually got some in the veggie pod as well now talking of a veggie pod celery in there 
doing fantastic. We're harvesting the celery and it's, I'm really quite impressed with how well the celery has grown in the veggie pod. We've grown celery in several different places, but the veggie pod has been the best place for celery I found. So there we go. That is the update from here at home. Let's go back to the podding shed. So there we go, garlic and Swiss chard and celery all going on in the garden here at home. And this brings us up to the end of this week's podcast. You know what? I've had so much fun putting this podcast together. I've really, really enjoyed it and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. If you have, then please consider leaving us a review and a rating on your podcast provider. As I said earlier, it goes a long way to helping us get found by other people who might be interested in growing their own food. Now, if you really want to support the work that we do, then please do consider becoming a member of our supporters club. Again, I cannot reiterate just how much that means to me for each and every member that joins up it really really does and it goes a long way to help keep this podcast running now details on that are at veggrowerpodcast.co.uk but if you want to get in touch you can of course leave a comment on the bottom of a blog post also on the veggrowerpodcast.co.uk or you can leave us a voicemail by heading to our website as stated earlier and just clicking on the button that says leave a voicemail we love having the voicemails here at the veggrow podcast because they are just great audio great things to play in and of course don't forget to follow us on social media i'm usually under the veg grow up podcast right we will be back again next time so until then please take care Thank you.